Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hello, and welcome to Leechfest, a medical history podcast where we experience ego death and then take a very normal, nice, little normal bike ride in normal Switzerland. Hi, my name is Mia Mulder. And my name is Raul Comuntano. And today we're talking about acid, LSD, a narcotic, a drug. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be interesting. Mm-hmm. A psychedelic. Can I just say also, before I began researching this, I thought that the history of LSD was going to be like a lot less um, chaotic than it ended up being. <laughs> It is the wildest history I think I've ever read. And it never ends, too. Like, even even modern day, <clears throat> the modern day history of LSD is still wild, so that's going to be fun. <laughs> but before we go deep into introspective LSD psychedelic trips, how have you been? I've been, I've been wonderful. <laughs> Thank you for asking. I've, I've been great. Um, I've been skating a lot. I'm very bruised up. How are you? Uh, I've been good. Same old as always. I make my videos. Uh, I have not been skating that much because I I only very recently recovered from my broken arm. But I've been skating a little bit. Mm -hmm. We've been skating a little bit. Mm. And I recently fell on my butt. And now I don't want to skate anymore for today. (laughs) And with that said, I think maybe it's time to thank a patron for this month. This month we want to thank Willow Davison for being a patron. They've been a patron for... um, for a while and uh, we're just now thanking them but we are very grateful that you are our patron thank you for supporting us and for allowing us to keep doing this mm-hmm. uh, we hope you enjoyed this episode about lsd and its <laughs> medical applications and of course our other patrons and everybody else who's listening thank you for being with us mm-hmm. and now i want to invite you all uh, to the dreamscape the astral realm uh, of LSD. So, what is LSD? Let's talk about the compound, let's talk about the effects, let's talk about maybe a bit how it works, and also the legality. These are all things that I, I want to begin with. So, LSD, which stands for Lysergic Acid Diaphylamine, is um, a very powerful <laughs> psychedelic drug. It's also known as Acid Blotter California Sunshine Dots electric kool-aid lucy and window and um not just window countless other colorful nicknames and it's been sold on the streets since the early 1960s mm-hmm. so this drug is a semi-synthetic product of lysergic acid which is a natural substance from actually a fungus from a parasitic rye fungus which is known as ergot and whose most prominent member is claviceps purpurea it's this, um, actually looked at pictures of this fungus. If you look up ergot or claviceps purpurea, you're going to see a lot of pictures of like rye that has like little purple, like just blobs like growing off it. It's, it's very interesting, yeah. Like weird tubular mushrooms. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's very, very weird looking. Ooh. So anyway, the drug is like derived from this fungus. LSD is also part of the pharmacological group known as classical hallucinogens or psychedelics, which is a term that was coined in 1957. And it shares its chemical structure with psilocybin and DMT as a variant of indolamine, uh, which has a chemical structure similar to the uh, to serotonin. However, LSD is sometimes also defined as an entheogen, which implies that users experience 
an altered state of consciousness, primarily in a religious, uh, shamanic or spiritual context. As a street drug, it's usually sold as a liquid that has been absorbed on paper sheets, which are called blotters. These sheets are subdivided into small squares called tabs, which often have designs on them. LSD liquid is also occasionally dropped onto sugar cubes or formed into small tablets called microdots. And it's usually taken orally, but it can also be administered through IV. Through IV? I never knew that. Yeah, I also never knew about uh, the sugar cube thing. I think it's it's quite interesting. Yeah, yeah I just getting like, fed like a horse. With, like a horse with LSD, <laughs> LSD sugar cubes. I'm going to use this to give uh, horses the wildest the experience. The wildest ride of their life. I'm lives. gonna give them a spiritual experience. I'm gonna give horses spiritual experiences. Um, that's weird. That's wild. Because most people, I think, associate acid with like uh, with the paper, mm-hmm. right? Like almost mm-hmm. ex- almost mm-hmm. exclusively. Mm-hmm. I had no idea it could be taken in any other type. I knew that like it could be a liquid. Yeah. But you know, again, they put that liquid on, yeah, on paper. Yeah, yeah. I think that maybe they use it intravenously in uh, clinical settings because then you can control like the, the exact, dosage yeah. a lot better. Yeah. They mm-hmm. like the exact amount. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, let's talk about what it actually does Mm. to the body. So like I said, LSD is a really powerful drug, probably one of the more powerful hallucinogens out there. So its effects can be felt starting from a dose of 25 micrograms. A moderate dose, which is between 75 to 150 micrograms of LSD, can significantly alter one's state of consciousness. The alteration is most often characterized by a state of euphoria, enhanced capacity for introspection, as well as perceptual changes, such as illusions, pseudo-hallucinations, synesthesias, and alterations of thinking and time experience. And synesthesia, I don't know if you know, but it's the blending of perceptual streams. So it's been described as the inability to distinguish between um, different types of sensory inputs, which is very interesting, I think. And like some people can can even have that naturally. Yeah. Like some people just have this ability to see colors of sounds and, yeah. and things like that. That's very cool. I know that uh, I, I saw a documentary like a few years ago about someone who like tasted in color. Yeah. Uh, and that, that guy's cooking was wild because he, he wanted things to be like basically color coded, mm-hmm. which meant that he had like chicken and ice cream together because <laughs> they were both blue. Like he, th- so when cool. he ate it, that they both tasted the color blue. I wonder if it actually made for a better cooking experience or do you think it didn't like do you think well, it's chicken and ice cream i don't really think that's gonna taste super good yeah but maybe it does very interesting very interesting <laughs> um episode on synesthesia coming up <laughs> well i know that a lot of people have this and maybe not even know it like mm-hmm. in a small amount like people the the number seven is feminine or something yeah yeah, i've like, definitely heard of that like yeah, num- exactly. numbers having personalities and things like that yeah yeah that's mm-hmm. also a type of this mm-hmm, where they mm-hmm. like uh, something which obviously shouldn't have like the seven is just a seven but you just experience it weirdly yeah uh, mm. your perception is altered mm. Um, yeah, so anyway, LSD can, can cause that to happen. It also can cause changes of body image and ego function. And these effects, these psychological effects of LSD can last between 6 and 10 hours, depending on the dose applied. Basically, you're in for a trip for, yeah. for a while. I know so, that it's absorbed very quickly too. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. like once once it gets absorbed into your bloodstream, mm-hmm. you literally can't stop. I mm-hmm. looked into this and like you can't... Like usually with a lot of narcotics, you can take activated charcoal and that would sort of like stop the body mm-hmm. from ingesting more mm-hmm. but because they're so, so small amounts like in micrograms and it, mm-hmm. it gets absorbed so quickly <laughs> it don't work 
you just got to write it out. Just got to write it out. For 10 hours. Um, which is pretty scary considering the possibility of a bad trip, right? Mm. Okay, so that, but that's like the psychological experience. Obviously, it also causes, it also has physical effects. So it can cause pupil dilation, reduced appetite, profuse sweating, and wakefulness. Other physical reactions to LSD are highly variable and nonspecific. So some of them include elevated body temperature, elevated heart rate, um, which makes it a bit dangerous for people who suffer from cardiovascular conditions. Mm. It can also cause goosebumps, jaw clenching, and mouth dryness. So, yeah, so it has these autonomic stimulant effects, but it can also cause elevated plasma cortisol. So, you know, the stress hormone, prolactin and oxytocin levels, which is linked to this feeling of oneness and togetherness that LSD is known to cause. Mm -hmm. And those are, I guess, the neutral or positive experiences. But people obviously have negative experiences, too, which are called bad trips. So during these bad trips, uh, numbness, weakness, nausea and tremors have been have been exhibited. Mm. I wonder how difficult that is to sort of measure what is like purely physical mm -hmm. and what is what like because when you're stressed out when you have like an intense psychological experience mm -hmm. that also affects the For body sure. right mm -hmm. and you know there's no more I guess like intense psychological experience in having your consciousness altered yeah yeah uh, which just makes your body be even more effective. Yeah, I, suppose. I don't. I don't know if you can really separate the two. Yeah, everything biological is psychological. That mm -hmm. is something I learned day one in psychology, <laughs> and then promptly forgot because I did not pass that that quiz. Yes, but uh, speaking of bad trips, so you know, obviously you have these short-term negative physical effects, but negative LSD experiences, unfortunately, can also have long-lasting effects on users, including mood swings and sometimes flashback phenomena. These generally take place in non-controlled conditions. And it has been shown that under controlled and supportive conditions, the LSD experience may have lasting positive effects on attitude and personality, um, which actually I'm going to touch on at the end of the episode when I talk about the therapeutical applications of LSD. There is another possible risk that I wanted to mention, and that is the exacerbation of psychotic disorders or the generation, actually, of psychotic reactions, which most often are related to the user's previous predisposition. So there haven't been a lot of contemporary studies that report psychosis after the administration of classical hallucinogens, but this is just something that, you know, you as a or not you as a user, but one, as, one a user, as a user, one has to keep in mind when they decide whether or not to to take a Lizzie. You know, like you have to think about: Am I likely to, you know, have psychotic episodes? Yeah. Am, do I have a predisposition for for yeah. certain psychiatric disorders? Yeah. So, like, what is my state of mind? What really is, for... yeah, and what is what is my um, you know, my my mental background, yeah. so to say. Um, so, because this is definitely a risk, you know, like LSD and other hallucinogens can really increase your risk of um, developing or can increase the incidence of uh, psychotic episodes. Yeah. However, it's it's interesting because LSD does not actually entail physical dependence or withdrawal syndromes as other recreational substances like opioids, cocaine or methamphetamine. It can lead to tolerance if you use it frequently or you use it for a long time, but it, but it does not cause physical dependence. It also exhibits very low physiological toxicity, even at very high doses. And there's no real evidence of like organic damage or neuropsychological deficits associated with their use, unless, of course, you are predisposed to 
uh, to certain psychiatric conditions. Mm -hmm. So their safety has recently led to considering LSD as one of the safest psychoactive recreational substances, yeah. which is interesting because it's also one of the strongest. <laughs> I recently read an article researching this, uh, researching this episode about a woman who had taken, I think it was like 500 times the recommended dose of LSD, mm -hmm. uh, mistaking it for another, an, another a narcotic. I thought I saw that. I thought it was cocaine that she thought it was. She thought it was cocaine. Yeah. But it was LSD. But it was LSD. Um, mm -hmm. I think it was like 550 times the recommended dose mm -hmm. of LSD, mm -hmm. which I, I colloquially know as macro dosing, mm -hmm. where you just take way more than you mm -hmm. can reasonably expect it to handle. Mm -hmm. um, and that must have been terrifying, though. Oh, it must have been horrific, yeah. But apparently the only long-term effect she suffered was her foot pain went away. Her foot pain? Her foot pain. She had foot pain, like chronic foot pain, and it just went away. Well, it went, it became less. Huh. So what happened there, we don't really know. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> we can't really test this. We can't just give willing participants 500 times the recommended dose yeah, of LSD yeah, to yeah. see what happens. I mean, it's, it's hard enough to give participants even small amounts of LSD, yeah. and I'm actually going to talk about that. Um, you know, I'm going to talk about, like, research with controlled substances. Oh. But, yeah, that's... God, 500 yeah. times? Yeah. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. yeah. But we should also say here that, like, even though it is safe, we are not, like, advocating for no, no. the use of these uh, substances. No. Uh, anything in this episode is purely for harm reduction. But uh, I think it's, it, is, it is kind of important that, like, you can't overdose, like, physically on mm -hmm, it. Mm -hmm. And, like, no one but has might... been recorded yeah. as, as died due to the toxicity, due to the material itself. However, there has been deaths recorded due to like psychological yeah. actions like mm -hmm. people become distressed and they do things mm -hmm. that event that, that cause that injury cause, them cause harm yeah mm. exactly mm. so um yeah that's an yeah. important distinction to to make yeah. we're going to talk about more about that like way later but yeah. yeah all right but before we we talk about that let's talk about the mechanism of action so how it works Unfortunately, the pharmacology of LSD is, is very complex and its mechanisms of action are still not completely understood. And part of it is because it's so hard to conduct research with LSD you know, on, in, in humans. But we do know that LSD's effects are mediated by a pleiotropic mechanism involving serotonergic, dopaminergic and glutamatergic neurotransmission. So we know that the effects of LSD are primarily mediated by the serotonergic system and the dorsal rough which is the largest serotonergic nucleus and provides a substantial proportion of the serotonin innervation to the forebrain. Um, so in the RAF nuclei, LSD binds to the 5-HT2A receptor as a partial agonist and 5-H21A as an agonist, which means that LSD activates the local serotonergic pathways. So it basically, it basically mimics serotonin in the brain. One study also suggests that LSD-induced 5-HT2AR, which is a subtype of a serotonin receptor, um, so the, the activation of this serotonin receptor leads to a breakdown of inhibitory processes in the hippocampal prefrontal cortex. Studies have shown that activation of the right hemisphere altered thalamic functioning and increased activity in the paralimbic structures and the frontal cortex all leads to the formation of induced visual imageries. At higher doses, LSD also modulates the ventral tegmental area, which is comprised of a group of neurons located around the midline of the midbrain floor and contains mainly neurons that produce dopamine. So the VTA dopaminergic neurons, so the neurons that um, produce and use dopamine, participate in drug addiction, behavioral disorders, cognition, motivation, and locomotor activity. 
so as you can tell, like there, I mean, this is all very complicated. I'm definitely not an expert on this. So I'm just sort of, I'm naming some areas of the brain that become activated mm -hmm. from LSD. And, you know, I've named like sort of what they do, but this is, I mean, you would need to be studying this your whole life to like really understand <laughs> yeah, how yeah. it works. And, you know, I, I cannot, I cannot tell you how it works in this like small section. It's mm -hmm. very complicated. So, and also like, we don't even know, like we need more studies. As always, we need more studies clarifying the mechanism of action. For fellow uh, like uh, humanities students out there like me, uh, chemical make brain go uh, wire? <laughs> go haywire? It go haywire. Go haywire. Yeah. Um, it lights up like specific parts of the brain, like with serotonin, like visual perception. It really it just makes that hyperactive. It's what I'm, it's what I'm getting from what you're saying. It works. It, it primarily uh, uses serotonergic serotonergic pathways, and it also uses pathways that use dopamine and glutamate. And uh, let's leave it at that because then right. it gets like really complicated. <laughs> let's talk about the legality of it. As you know, as, or as you can imagine, LSD is actually quite illegal. <laughs> quite illegal. Uh, it's quite illegal. Um, it's, it's not even even nearly legal. Yeah. So um, the United Nations Convention on Psychotropic Substances in 1997 required the signing parties to prohibit LSD. So therefore, it is illegal in all countries that were parties to the convention. And that includes the United States, Australia, and New Zealand, and most of Europe. So in the United States, for example, LSD is a Schedule One drug, meaning that LSD is illegal to manufacture, buy, possess, process, or distribute without a license from DEA. So by classifying LSD as a Schedule One substance, the DEA holds that LSD meets the following three criteria. It is deemed to have a high potential for abuse, it has no legitimate medical use and treatment, and there is a lack of accepted safety for its use under medical supervision. As I mentioned before, interestingly, there are no documented deaths from chemical toxicity. Most LSD deaths are a result of behavioral toxicity. And also LSD is currently believed to hold therapeutic potential, which I'll talk about later. But as it stands now, LSD has not been studied enough to be used in therapeutic settings. And so it is illegal. Mm. So, in short, it's illegal everywhere, mostly everywhere, with the exception of Brazil and the Netherlands, where consumption of LSD is legal, but it's illegal to possess. I think I think that you can you can consume it, but you can't have it, which is which is an yeah. interesting contradiction. I think there is a lot of like variations with legality mm -hmm. here too. Mm -hmm. I know Portugal, for example, it's yeah. decriminalized, mm -hmm, so it's not mm -hmm. like legal, but it's not illegal either mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and a lot of enforcement around it is also like very lax mm -hmm. depending on where you are because mm -hmm. as we say like and like how much you have exactly uh, yeah. and also like cops aren't really like putting all of their resources to find like L the lsd gangs uh <laughs> that like the hippies who have like psychedelic experiences because like it doesn't really produce addicts right yeah. it doesn't it doesn't like cause harm to the community in the sense <laughs> that like cops like to talk about drug addiction yeah mm. um so, you know, if, if they find acid on you, they're probably going to book you for it, but they're probably not going to, like, send the guard dogs out to find, like, a tab or two. Like, mm -hmm. it's, it's not high on the priority they're not gonna release, even if it is technically illegal. They're not going to release the sniffer dogs into the rave. Into <laughs> <laughs> the rave. <laughs> Try to catch you for holding two tabs. Yeah, they're, they're looking for other drugs yeah. That, yeah. Are, that are a bit more mm. uh, severe. But technically, it's illegal pretty much everywhere. Yes. Although we should say that, like this Schedule One thing, mm -hmm. uh, where like the law is that it's it has no medical value, it cannot be used, it has high addiction potential. Mm -hmm. That's like very arbitrary, like as, as as you did mention, and that's like a case for many drugs. Yeah. So a lot of these 
a lot of these laws are also like you know they're changing slowly over time oregon for example made it uh, uh, legal to have like small amounts of acid very recently wait where oregon oh oregon. in the us oh yeah. i think I, I thought i heard that about uh mushrooms but i didn't i don't remember that about LSD. i think they did it about all drugs actually really yeah mm. but you know this episode is about lsd so mm-hmm Cool. Yes. So that that kind of concerns like just regular people uh, having LSD or consuming LSD. But it's a bit different with LSD in medical and scientific research. So medical and scientific research with LSD in humans is permitted under the 1971 UN Convention. However, it comes with a lot of red tape, so it's definitely not easy to conduct research using um, drugs like LSD. It requires studies to demonstrate the public benefits of biomedical and behavioral research to an institutional review board, accounting for the risks to patients, and ensuring they're treated with respect and justice. And, you know, like, again, after after demonstrating um, the benefit of this of the study to the review board and the study also has to talk to DA and prove to them that they know how to store the drugs, that the drugs are going to be accounted for, they're going to be protected. So there's so much red tape around um, studies using prohibited substances. It's very difficult to conduct studies. It's also very difficult to get uh, access to grants because, you know, you have to prove to people that this is an interesting topic and a lot of people are just not interested in it. Anyway, it's a whole thing. Um, so we really don't have a lot of like studies with LSD or other hallucinogens. Mm. But... Um, that was my my uh, my little intro. I'm I'm looking at the time right now, and it's it's 53 minutes. I'm sorry, I talked for like it, one hour. It's all good. It's gonna be it's gonna be shorter after editing. But um, that was my part on um, an intro to LSD. Now, Mia. I before I go on to my segment on the yeah. history, which is very nice. I do want to send mention a nice little fun story to round off this little thing. Sure. Because do you know how they know that it like because they know definitively that LSD does not is not like chemically addictive because they can't get animals to take it willingly. <laughs> right, right, right. Exactly. Because in animal studies, you can like you can make animals into addicts. Mm-hmm. And you can see like the chemical dependency of what they want. You can't make animals take mm-hmm. LSD unless you force them to. <laughs> like, which just shows that, like, maybe maybe we shouldn't give these sugar cubes to the horses, <laughs> actually. I love how the animal is like, no. it, was, it was, I mean, it was good, but it I do good. it again. Nah. No. <laughs> give, me, give me a normal sugar I'll, cube this time, thank you. Yeah, yeah. That that is part of my psyche yeah. is not something I really want to explore. <laughs> let's not do that again. Let's not, yeah, let's the not mouse explore. is like, I have mental illness. Don't want, listen to me. I wonder what horse ego death looks like. <laughs> so now that we know what LSD is and how it works, I think it would be an interesting story of how it came to be mm-hmm. and why it's scheduled as as a narcotic in the first place and why it's out there in the streets why is it being sold why does it have the quirky names that it does mm-hmm. and believe me the story is really funny and as far as i can tell i tried double checking everything here like double triple check it's all true and it's wild and it, it involves it involves the swiss it involves the CIA. The, the swiss the swiss the swiss <laughs> It involves the CIA, and it involves a bunch of hippies. Can't wait. Can't wait. So, do you know who invented LSD, and do you know the country of origin? Uh, It was a Swiss uh, scientist, right? Yes, I gave you a a hint, and also you knew. I I don't know his name, though. Okay, Uh, his name was Albert Hoffman, Mm -hmm. and he, uh, in the 1930s, he was studying a few traditional medical plants, as well as that ergot fungus that we mentioned earlier, 
to try to discover a medicine to help with circulation and respiration, an analeptic. While doing this uh, research, he first synthesized LSD in 1938 while studying derivatives for lysergic acid. And then he promptly put it on a shelf for a few years. But, even, you know, it didn't interest him for a bit. But then, in 1943, it's fun that this takes place during the 30s and 40s, and there's no Nazis here once. Uh, in 1943, he decided to take a look again, and on April 13th of 1943, he accidentally ingested a small amount of it at the end of the day. Uh, How no. do you accidentally ingest, <laughs> like, a compound in your lab? So, listen, listen, it's, it gets weird. This is not the first time this happens. Did you know, by the way, that this is also how they found sugar substitutes and sweeteners? Uh, a person in like the 1800s or whatever worked with oil derivatives and found that it tasted sweet. Okay. They're spilling things on their hands. This is something that scientists and they just, do. Okay, and instead of, okay. Whatever. He ingested some at the end this of the is, day. Okay. Can you imagine how many cool discoveries we're missing out on today just because we have better lab practice? <laughs> Because we're not licking our hands and we're not sniffing everything. Okay, but he, but but how about this though? Like, who knows if if this didn't happen? Who knows how many society changing discoveries that we're missing out on? Yeah, maybe we should taste random chemicals. For legal purposes, do not taste random chemicals. Listen, I'm just saying we could find revolutionary chemicals. Mm -hmm. However, he accidentally ingested some at the end of the, day, of the day, and as you mentioned, you don't need a lot of this stuff to get you going. One lick and you're gone. I think he didn't even lick it. I think he just touched it with his hand. It's absorbed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. um, and he probably went home before any effects happened, but he described in his diary how this affected him because he knew what had happened. Like he, he knew that like, oh, I'm, I am not sober anymore and I have worked with a chemical today. That's probably what happened. Uh, and he described it like this. At home, I lay down and sank into a not unpleasant, intoxicated-like condition characterized by an extremely stimulated imagination. In a dreamlike state, with eyes closed, I perceived an uninterrupted stream of fantastic pictures, extraordinary shapes with intense kaleidoscopic play of colors. After about two hours of this, this condition faded away. So he's just vibing he in his was, couch. He was dripping his balls off. Um, <laughs> but he wasn't discouraged, though, because he knew that he's onto something here. Mm -hmm. he, he knew that this chemical was something nice, and he kept researching it. And he kept testing it on himself, because this is the 30s and you, uh, 40s, and you can do whatever you want, apparently. <laughs> on April 16th, he's in his lab, he ingested 250 micrograms of LSD, which is a bit more than a typical dose, which is a bit more than twice the typical dose I think you mentioned. Yeah, so a moderate dose is between 75 and 150. So it's it's like... He had like a big dose. Yeah, pretty big. It depends, you know, it depends on like his body weight and stuff. But mm -hmm. it's 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 pretty sizable dose. A sizable dose. Mm -hmm. uh, he quickly found himself uncomfortable and <laughs> asked his lab assistant to escort him home. He, he was not, he was no longer fit to work today. He, want, he was sicky. He wanted to go home. Uh, as was customary in uh, Basel, Switzerland at the time where he was working, this journey was made on bicycle. <laughs> on the way, Hoffman's condition rapidly deteriorated as he struggled with feelings of anxiety, alternating in his beliefs that the next door neighbor was a malevolent witch, uh, oh. that he was going insane, and that the LSD had poisoned him. Oh my god, I feel so bad for I him. I feel he's, so bad for he's him really, He's having a bad trip. When the house doctor arrived, however, he could detect no physical abnormalities, save for a pair of incredibly dilated pupils. The doctor and lab assistant both reassured Albert that everything was fine, and he was, he was okay, <laughs> that the neighbor wasn't a witch, uh, and he slowly began to feel better, and even euphoric. And he described this experience as, Little by little, I could begin to enjoy the unprecedented colors and plays of shapes that persisted behind my closed eyes. 
kaleidoscopic fantastic images surged on me, alternating, veriditated, opening and then closing themselves in a circle of spirals, exploding in colored fountains, rearranging and hybridizing themselves in constant flux. I love how he just stripped the other day, and now he's having it a day again. He's like, the colors, the colors. The kaleidoscopic <laughs> images that it's I have like beheld. He's, yeah, he's like experiencing it for the first time. Mm-hmm. This is a very cute story. I love it. I, I know. It's it's very great. This is actually... Th- this day is today uh, known as Bicycle Day mm-hmm. in, psych- in uh, psychedelic communities where they... On April 16th, the idea is you take a bunch of acid to commemorate him taking acid. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Maybe the April 13th, actually, because I think the first Bicycle Day fell on a Wednesday and they wanted it to be on a Friday, so they changed the day <laughs> to be the 13th. Whatever. It's not important. Very close to April 20th. <laughs> Very close. April is a weird month. Yeah, that's a good week for certain people. Albert himself saw this as a wonderful medicine for potential use in psychotherapy due to its introspective nature, and he couldn't imagine anyone actually using it recreationally. Almost instantly, the medicine became used recreationally. (laughs) But it was also used by another ulterior motive. You've probably heard of the secret government program known as MKUltra. No, what is that? You haven't? No. Well, this is a secret government program run by the CIA to discover a truth serum in the 50s and the 60s. Remember that this is in the middle of the Cold War, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, It's immediately after the war. They're producing LSD now for like therapy purposes now. Like his company is is making LSD. And the CIA bought the entire world's supply worth of LSD in uh, in the early 50s for $240,000 in the 50s. Adjusted for inflation, that's like a lot different. And began propagating LSD through front organizations of the CIA to American hospitals, clinics, prisons, and research centers. And the idea was that if if they could just get LSD to become like very popular in a lot of American institutions, then they could do human experimentation with LSD to see what the effects would be. Because they, they really want a truth serum, right? Experiments included uh, administering LSD to CIA employees, military personnel, doctors, other government agents, prostitutes, mentally ill patients, members of the general public, in order to study their reactions, almost always without the subject's knowledge. This project was revealed in a US congressional report in 1975, so we know this happened. It was a big conspiracy theory for a while, but we know it actually Mm -hmm. happened. Uh, I love it when conspiracy theories prove to be true. I know. That's my favorite thing. It's the best. It also didn't work, Mm -hmm. just made people high often confused and scared because they didn't know that they had gotten high. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this also meant that LSD became widespread in US academic circles and was frequently used for good purposes as well, not just for like weird uh, testing. Psychiatrists would use it for therapeutic value, as I mentioned, helping patients with introspective thinking and reflection, mm-hmm. uh, just as Albert had predicted. And it was used like this for almost a full decade. But eventually, patients speak to each other and they realize that this medicine can be used for fun, not just in academic uh, circles. Once again, weird leech fest. Do not condone the use <laughs> of LSD. Please um, proceed at your own risk. This is for educational purposes only. After having been exposed to it from people telling their stories from therapy, stealing small doses from pharmacies, and from psychiatrists taking LSD themselves mm-hmm. and sharing it with their friends, it became spread in... in um, in sort of like upper middle class academic circles. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Also, the 50s and 60s were wild because what psychiatrists can just take d- prescriptive drugs that they just have access to. Yeah. And here is where the story becomes bonkers. Oh, th- that here's where it becomes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, pro- I promise you. In the 1960s, the audio engineer for the band The Grateful Dead, Oswald Stanley, 
figured out how to make LSD on his own. He is the first known private individual to figure out how to do this. And in the early days of the 1960s, LSD is legal. Mm-hmm. So he's not committing any crimes here. Mm. He's and just being financially he's responsible. He's financially responsible. And he managed to produce roughly half a kilogram of LSD, which... Again, you don't need a lot to get going, so half half a kilogram might sound like a lot, and it is, because it amounts to roughly five million doses. Yep. In 1964, a group of hippies who knew this, uh, who, who knew him, uh, who knew Stanley, were hanging out with a novelist, Ken Casey, who you may know wrote the novel One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. One flight over the cuckoo's nest? No, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Huh. That's the name of the book. Look at that. <laughs> I am wrong. <laughs> Woo! Feels, uh, feels uh, weird, oh, saying weird saying that's weird saying that. Anyway, this group of hippies and Ken Casey would travel around the US in a painted school bus supplied by Oswald Stanley with copious amounts of LSD, calling themselves the Merry Pranksters, giving shows involving taking LSD, enjoying light shows, and watching movies on projection. Dudes rock. They would also meet with major figures within the beat movement during these meetups, which they called the Acid Tests. Or the electric Kool-Aid acid tests. Electric Kool-Aid, because they would put it in the Kool-Aid. Okay, hold on, hold on. What is the beat group? Or beat movement, you the, said? The beat movement is a sort of social counterculture movement in the 50s that mm-hmm. kind of grew out of the post-World War era that eventually evolved in sort of the hippie movement. Anti-authority. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's a sort of precursor to the, to the hippie movement. Okay, cool. Uh, this bus, by the way, was called Further. And, has a, and it has its own Wikipedia page. A bus um, with its own Wikipedia page. It was frequently stopped by police, but because, of course, LSD was legal at the time, they couldn't do anything about it unless they had other narcotics, such as marijuana. They Which of- they probably did. They often carried several bags of marijuana with them. <laughs> they, these people took a lot of drugs. <laughs> During the same time, though, many individuals would set up their own psychedelic stores, often in Los Angeles or San Francisco, and a lot of these people are all based in San Francisco, where they would sell LSD, promote safe use, and also show movies, listen to music, and have their own acid tests, Mm -hmm. so to say. Dudes rock. They're just having vibe sessions here. A few bands also began promoting the use of LSD, like actively saying like, hey, this is something that you should do. Chiefly the Grateful Dead, whose sound engineer figured out how to make it, and their fan base became almost synonymous with the use of LSD because they would play during these acid tests, and that spread their use more and more and became, became more and more popular in these like subcultures, in these countercultures. The genie was out of the bottle, so to mm-hmm, say. Mm-hmm. But there were also a lot of people who thought that this drug was revolutionary in its own right. And as I mentioned, like actively wanted to promote its use in public. As in, like, this is something that people should use. And this generally fell into two groups of thought, two schools of thought of how to approach LSD. One group, which included Aldous Huxley, who wrote Brave New World, of all people, believed that LSD should be contained within the elite of like philosophers, poets, writers, artists, scientists. What a dickish opinion. <laughs> and, but those should be the people who use LSD because they will use the introspective nature of it to, to its get, fullest potential. The... the masses can't be trusted with it. Oh my god. Uh, and then there was the other group which argued that like, hey, everyone should do this. Everyone should try to do LSD at least once. For legal purposes, we are not part of any of these groups. <laughs> And they believe that the perspective-altering powers of LSD would change the world for the better. And that's sort of these two movements that I already mentioned, yeah. right? We, we have therapists and whatever using it for their own uh, for their own purposes. And then we have the Grateful Dead just like throwing acid into crowds and playing music. 
just like hosing them with, with acid. Like they would put they would put it in Kool Aid and they they would basically spray it on each other and just drink copious amounts of it. Wow. Apparently, these parties were legendary of the time. Okay, but how do you know you don't take too much? You know, I mean. I well, know that I mean, it's that's, not that's like the benefit I know, of LSD, right? It, it doesn't cause well, neurotoxicity. It doesn't cause cause neurotoxicity, but I still feel like you're so much more likely to have a really bad trip if Probably. you take too much. But I think also from from what I read here, also like a lot of especially with the stores in San Francisco, a lot of them would have like so called trip sitters, mm-hmm. like people who made sure that like people were safe and drank water and whatever. Yeah. I'm not sure they had those on the road trip. Yeah. <laughs> on the like the this festival thing, but. God, I hope so. <laughs> uh, and as you probably know, most people today associate LSD with more like funky music and spiritual experiences more than they do like scientific pursuits yeah. and uh, that type of introspection. This latter group also saw LSD as being like, like this would uplift humanity into like a new religious, spiritual wave of thinking. But unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on where you land, I shouldn't say any of these things, in 1968, it was made illegal in the US as a Schedule One narcotic, because it had become so prevalent mm. uh, that people became a bit concerned about uh, what it would do. However, if you look at a graph of like the use of LSD throughout the time, you don't, you can't point to that graph like where it got illegal. It had no effect. It kept rising like uh, like meteoric rise. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because now there were basically like gangs of people producing LSD. The knowledge had become like disseminated, and more people were making LSD factories. One of these gangs called the Brotherhood of Eternal Love. All of these people are hippies, by the way. Every group that I mentioned so far has been like the most hippie hippies that existed. Uh, They would be known as the Hippie Mafia. (laughs) And from there, basically, it's been an ongoing phenomenon where people will make LSD. People will, it will be distributed as a a narcotic like most others with various subcultures sort of like falling in and out of fashion with LSD. It became uh, more and more widespread up until the 80s, where it took a bit of a dip. And the only really big drop in use in the US at least, and internationally, was after a raid on one LSD factory. Because in 2000, apparently this is important, because in 2000, police raided a factory after one of the producers there had become an informant for the FBI. And this factory produced five kilos of LSD every week. Damn. And after they after they got this factory, use of LSD fell in the US for the next couple of years by 92%. <laughs> and international use more than halfed. So like... Yeah, those were a major distributor. <laughs> that, that was the distributor. Yeah, yeah. The, the, they were the ones who were making LSD for I everyone, wonder, basically. I wonder what this kind of factory would look like. I, I don't know. But it was a laboratory. And it apparently had, it had been running for decades. And uh, it was the... It was the factory where things were making, but people still make LSD. Wait, do you think we could like look at pictures now really quick? I'm super curious to Ooh, see. We can we can try. Okay. Uh, uh technical technical break. Dun, 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 dun. Okay. Two thousand LSD factory. Oh, oh. 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 <laughs> look at him. Oh, he looks oh. he looks like it. Yeah, there he is. Miss Missile silo. It wasn't a missile silo. And he was deputy director of the drug policy research program. Yeah, no, but that's what I mean. Like, um, okay, so so one of the people who run this factory Wait. was the deputy director of the drug policy research program at the University of California. Because these are academics who do this. The people in charge of like making LSD and promoting it, they've always been academics. The inventor, by the way, of of LSD. 
Albert, he promoted the use of LSD throughout his entire life. He yeah, said there was something yeah. people should do too. I saw that stuff. It's so funny. Okay, so we're so we're <laughs> looking at pictures. I really wanted to see uh, you know pictures of the like the place and the guy. And he looks like um, he could be your English lit professor in yeah. uni. Um, he literally looks like my uh, Greek history professor. Yeah. So he used to be. So okay. So the guy, the guy who was in charge of the operation, named William Leonard Pickard. He used to be deputy director of the Drug Policy Research Program at the University of California, Los Angeles. And yeah, we I guess we don't really have time to talk about him <laughs> and this this operation, really. But um, he basically did like a you, bunch of intellectual stuff and then he dropped out of all of that to make LSD. To make LSD. Wow. Okay, this is this is cool. If you have time, dear listener, you should definitely look into this because this is this is really cool. Oh, I'm by the way, all of the things I'm talking about, I'm oversimplifying this so much too. Like, mm-hmm. there's a big part of like Jefferson Airplane, the mm-hmm. the the band who made like White Rabbit. Uh, <laughs> they're uh, they're in here too. They also like did major road trips and like distributed LSD. It's it's wild how because it's really hard I think for us to sort of grasp how they how what their relation were to this drug. Yeah. Like imagine today someone discovers like a new type of alcohol or whatever, and everyone just goes out like, "Hey, you should drink this alcohol." And every professor at every uni is like drinking this alcohol every day, quitting their jobs to to make authors it. <laughs> and philosophers are all like talking about this wonderful new alcohol. Yeah. Like that would never happen today, but that happened with LSD. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. The use of LSD uh, after the raid on this thing has been recovering since the raid. But again, it fell by 92%, yep. so it's it almost died. But it's slowly been recovering. Uh, and scientists are actually beginning to study LSD for its effects again. During the 70s and 80s, people were doing some research. But as you mentioned, it's really hard to get funding to, to do it. And most of the research died out because of lack of funding. So we still don't really know like much of the like effects of LSD, mm. despite much use. Mm-hmm. A lot of it is like informal knowledge made by academics who take it themselves, or like by psychedelic subgroups uh, or stores, for example, who, yeah, who and did I mean, their own like studies. Yeah, and there was a lot of research in the 50s up to the 70s. And so this is actually something that I'm going to talk about at the end of the episode, where a lot of those clinical trials or like experiments, they were they were not up to the standards that we have today. So it's very difficult to actually it like you really have to take those results with a grain of salt. But we do have research on LSD, and so now that we kind of look at hallucinogens a bit differently, mm. um, researchers is starting to take off again. So you know we can look at those old experiments that old research and be like "Hmm, this is interesting maybe we should redo this Mm -hmm. Um, yeah and speaking of that there's actually one study in particular that like a lot of people are pointing to in a sort of like in the in the psychedelic revival as it's being called because a lot of the academics who advocated the use of lsd back then a lot of them are still alive and are still advocating for the use of lsd Mm. and i mentioned this earlier like the inventor of lsd he was a proponent of lsd decriminalization until he died and thought it was a shame that it was that it was banned and many of the authors and uh, artists and all those things are very much in support of like decriminalizing LSD. And all of them basically point to one study, because uh, there, there has been one major study recently about the effects of LSD that implied that it could be used to treat alcoholism. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's 2000- the one that I'm going to Yeah, exactly, about. from 2012. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them point to that one being like, hey, we haven't seen too many negative effects from this, but it could be good, potentially. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's interesting. Yeah. And that's sort of how we ended up now. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, what a bunch of hippies! What and what a story too. LSD has 
I guess it's kind of like lived up to its, um, you know, when, when people think about LSD, like you think about... You think about hippies. You think about this like wild kind of like party lifestyle. I feel like the history of LSD has lived up to that. Very much so. Do you know so. what I mean? And also, I, I think it's very interesting because I think a lot of people, when they think about like how drugs spread across the world or like how drugs work, it's always been like very generalized, right? Like people think about like how well, maybe acid is being made in North Korean like planes and being sold all over the world. No, there's just some hippie, there's some hippies in San Francisco figured out how to make it mm-hmm. themselves outside of like a pharmaceutical lab and took it on tour. That's that's the story. <laughs> yeah, but I still th- I, th- I still think it's cool how it started. It was made by accident, mm-hmm. and then it started being prescribed to people in therapy, mm-hmm. and then psychotherapists started taking it, and then it became taken. Like it was, kind of, yeah. it kind of made the rounds through different like areas of society and different yeah. you know social classes and social circles, which I think is really it's really cool. Yeah. You know, it goes from a pharmaceutical company in Switzerland mm-hmm. through the CIA mm-hmm. to pharma to pharma Thera- therapists, therapists in the US and, who yeah. start taking it themselves and sharing mm-hmm. it to friends and sharing it we, with going academics, to, going to an aud- giving it to an, like an audio engineer for the Grateful Dead who then gave it to a bunch of hippies yeah. who then spread it throughout the world yeah wonderful <laughs> that's a it's a good story it's a wonderful story thank you for sharing that with us thank you <laughs> all right okay so now that we've talked about the history of it um and actually Mia you have mentioned a little bit some stuff about its therapeutical applications mm-hmm. and this is actually what I, I want to talk about and this is actually why we even decided to make this episode because I was like um you know let's talk about therapeutical applications of hallucinogens I feel mm. like that's a it's it's sort of a topic of uh, medical research that is really gaining momentum and so this this is something that I'm I really wanted to talk about so let's talk about its um, applications in medicine so as we said, LSD was studied from, from the 1950s to the 1970s to evaluate its primarily antidepressant and anxiolytic properties. So LSD-assisted psychotherapy was often performed in patients with anxiety and cancer and in patients with depression and other psychiatric syndromes. Single or few doses of LSD reportedly lessened cluster headaches and induced remission more effectively than conventional medications. LSD was also well studied as treatment for alcohol use disorder. However, as we said before, most of the studies were not performed under contemporary standards and also there was a fair amount of political pressure following its widespread uncontrolled (laughs) use in the early 1970s, causing clinical research on LSD to come to a halt. I like that because, you know, it's it's the 60s and the 70s. Political pressure following widespread unauthorized use, uncontrolled use. They're literally talking about like how how the bad guy in every like 80s movie with mm-hmm. all of the cops on their side mm-hmm. bashing hippies. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. the divide we're talking about. So in the 1990s, clinical hallucinogen research very slowly began again with primary, so not LSD yet. It began with experimental studies of psilocybin and DMT. So the very first modern research findings from studies of LSD, psilocybin, and ayahuasca, which contains DMT in psychiatric patients and patients with alcohol and nicotine, have only very recently been published. In the past 40 years, though, no studies of LSD have been conducted in humans until very recently, and only one modern trial evaluated LSD in patients. This trial assessed the effects of LSD-assisted psychotherapy on anxiety in 11 patients with life-threatening diseases, eight of them with cancer. 
The study found a significant decrease in anxiety two months after the two LSD sessions compared with baseline anxiety scores. Anxiety scores did not decrease in the placebo group. However, it's important to note that the placebo control group was too small for statistical comparisons with the treatment group and therefore a valid control was missing. The study also found non-significant decreases in depression and increases in quality of life. A follow-up study at 12 months in 9 patients reported sustained decreases in anxiety, an increase in quality of life, and no lasting adverse reactions after LSD, but the follow-up lacked a control group. Studies in schizophrenic patients, however, reached less response to the same dose and worse clinical outcomes compared with non-schizophrenic patients, and negative effects on these patients have been described both in LSD experience itself and later benefits. So the data indicates that the responsivity of schizophrenic patients to the administration of lysergic acid is less than that of healthy subjects. I just think that this is interesting that they were like, let's try it on schizophrenic patients. Mm -hmm. And then the results were like, don't do it again. Don't do that. And it's also something that I feel like a lot of like the informal study of LC is also sort of known. Yeah, yeah. That if you, uh, like if you have mental issues well, of any kind certain mental issues yeah like if you have you certain know, mental issues, I mean, maybe you shouldn't if you're like unsure of your mental like resilience to uh, being altered maybe don't take a little yeah but i mean you know because because it, it has been used in patients with depression and anxiety so it's not about like mental illness in general it's more about psychosis yeah there's also a study that you've also mentioned where it was it was shown that lsd treatment can help people with alcoholism. I don't have the the details for that study right now, but I remember reading about it and, and seeing that that was actually one of the studies that was most, um, that had like the best data and the, the best clinical design. But so if we look overall, we can see that positive results have been observed in these clinical trials, even though a lot of the, the clinical trials designs maybe could be improved on. But but this still, this reveals the, the potential that LSD has in like clinical settings to reduce psychiatric symptomology, especially in alcoholism. So the vast majority of offers describe significant and positive short-term changes in patients even though in some studies there's no observable differences between the LSD treatment group and control group at long-term follow-up. So at least in the short term, there's, there's positive differences. Mm. So in conclusion, despite the fact that some of the clinical trials have not held up entirely to modern standards, positive results have been observed, therefore revealing the therapeutic potential of LSD to reduce psychiatric symptoms, especially in alcoholism. The vast majority of offers describe significant and positive short-term changes in patients, despite the fact that in some studies there is no observable difference between the LSD treatment group and control group at long-term follow-up. So, yeah, so, so you know, long-term, maybe those, those positive effects disappear, but at least in the short term, there's an observable difference in psychiatric symptoms. So LSD is revealed as a potential therapeutic agent in psychiatry, um, and the evidence to date is strongest for the use of LSD in the treatment of alcoholism. Lastly, I wanted to end with with the fact that, with something that I've said before, that it's um, it's quite difficult to conduct clinical trials with LSD. And I'm not just going to talk about just how hard it is to, to, to include drugs, like we've talked about that already. But with LSD, there's a problem of the fact that there's subjective and objective changes experienced 
by the user, by the person taking the LSD, that are apparent for both the subject and the observer, which makes performing double-blind tests virtually impossible. You know, I mean, you know that you've, you've taken a drug and that's apparent both to you and it's apparent to the person observing. Mm-hmm. So, so that makes it difficult to, to reduce bias. And um, yeah, and on the other hand, like placebo control is also difficult to, to have because you can notice that you are sober. Yeah. <laughs> and the you, person... You know if you are tripping on LSD. Exactly, exactly. Um, and yeah, the, the person observing you is also going to know that you're not tripping. But something that some studies have done is actually using an active placebo, which means in this case, you're using LSD at a lower dose. Oh. So you're still tripping, but you're going to, you, you don't know if that is the highest dose or if it's the lowest dose. Mm. Another thing that makes performing research with LSD or other hallucinogens quite difficult is that you need to have good control over the variables related to the therapeutic benefits of LSD. So, you know, results of the studies that we have so far show that mystical type experiences are associated with positive long-term changes and musical stimuli uh, are also observed as a predictor of mystical type experiences and positive therapy outcomes. So, because not everybody experiences the trip the same, right? But apparently, in order to experience like positive long-term outcomes you have to have certain experiences Mm. and if you don't have them then it's not going to work but how do you induce those specific trip experiences in a person you know so all of this makes it quite difficult to to conduct the the clinical trial yeah I guess it's because it's, yeah, because the brain is very complicated and the way this interacts with the brain is also very complicated. So I guess it's really hard to, like if the brain responds differently, mm-hmm. then it's going to behave differently on the brain. Yeah. That's, yeah. that makes sense. And also spooky. And uh, yeah, I mean, how, how do you, kn- how do you know how to make a person have a specific trip since, since trips are different for everybody, right? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. You can't control the vibes. You <laughs> Well, but you can't control something. The vibes, the vibes. Actually, you can control, but what you can't control is people's different brain chemistry. But um, I suppose this just means that we need to perform more research on LSD because apparently it holds a lot of therapeutic potential, and you know a lot of people struggle with mental illness, and mental illness is quite hard to cure. So if there's, you know, if there's potential there, maybe there's, um, maybe that's reason enough to look into it. Yeah. So we can't control brain chemistry, but as you said, we can control the vibes. Mm-hmm. And I think that we both on this show advocate for uh, for harm reduction mm-hmm. when it comes to when it comes to narcotics of various kinds. Harm reduction is the idea that you can't really like ban a thing out of being used. As I mentioned earlier, the use of LSD is increasing. Uh, despite it having been illegal since the 70s. But you can reduce the harm that is caused by a certain drug, in this case, LSD. And luckily with LSD, as we mentioned, there isn't like uh, addiction, chemical dependency, physical damage, but it can be psychologically traumatic and emotionally dangerous. So I have some tips <laughs> uh, if uh, uh, for anyone who is out there and might need it regarding LSD. <laughs> To, to reduce harm because that's what the podcast is about like that's part of the pod- reason we do this we educate mm-hmm. and we reduce harm cops we're not advocating for the use of this you shouldn't do it don't do drugs kids but if you're gonna have to do it for some reason or another here are some tips don't do drugs but when you do but when you do 
That's basically that's basically that's basically how harm reduction works. Don't mm-hmm. do drugs, but when you do, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, first you should test your drugs. Mm. The classic LSD is safe, but you better make sure that it's LSD you're taking. Mm. There are many drugs out there, and uh, if you if you get something that's not LSD, a lot of the things that we talked about here aren't relevant. How can one obtain a drug testing kit? You can obtain drug testing kits on many uh, stores on the internet, uh, fully legally. A lot of them will be very obvious with what they're doing, <laughs> selling a number of paraphernalia, <laughs> and they they'll they'll know what they'll know what you need. Okay. Uh, secondly, start small. If you're unsure about dosage, t- take less, basically. If you're unsure about the amount you're about to take, take less. And then you'll have a like a less intense experience, mm. but one that you may be able to manage. Don't um, redose if you feel like it's not happening, because... It will. W- mm, <laughs> yeah, maybe wait a few hours and then decide if you want to redose. If you, if you want to... If you want if, to if take the risk. If you really want to go mm-hmm. into... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Third... If it's bitter, it's a spitter, because that's not LSD. <laughs> that's a that's a old-fashioned tip. Really, I've never heard of that. Yeah, if it's bitter, it's a spitter. Like there are some uh, LSD emittents that taste bitter, and so, so if you put it on your tongue and it's really bitter, you should spit it out because that's not that's not LSD. Because it's not supposed to taste of anything, right? It's not supposed to taste of anything. Sometimes it can taste a tiny bit bitter, but that might be due to the ink. Because a lot of the people who make LSD are hippie nerds who print like little patterns on the paper things, like we mm-hmm. mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. So you may be able to taste the ink, but if it's really bitter, spit it out. If you're unsure, spit it out. Don't take any chances. Fourth, have a buddy. Have a buddy. Have a buddy. Either someone who's sober to make sure that you're good, or at least someone who's done it before to, you know, help you through the experience. Because it's a very intense experience. And I think that's a good little list to reduce harm. I think that was great. Thank you. I, th- I, I, I want to give advice uh, to the world. And to round off this episode, this wholesome little psychedelic episode, I want to mention about like how things are changing. Because it is illegal. Mm-hmm. LSE is illegal, don't do drugs. Don't do drugs, kids. But there are, like I mentioned earlier, there are places who are, uh, who are changing a little bit. You've mentioned a few countries that have LSD be not illegal. We mentioned a bit earlier before, like the Netherlands. Brazil. Uh, Brazil. Uh, Portugal, Peru, yeah, Peru, uh, I think, yeah. and Oregon, as we mentioned, also has, has mm-hmm. recently decriminalized. In a lot of places, as I also mentioned earlier, LSD is becoming like less and less enforced. It's not seen as like as much of a threat in the war on drugs as many other drugs, like cocaine, like methamphetamines, mm. um, and it is uh, still argued for to to decriminalize LSD, as you mentioned, for a lot of like therapeutic values, but also for recreational purposes. Many authors still advocate for uh, decriminalization, and uh, that's something that that may be coming up. And I did discover some some fun some fun laws in this. Uh, for example, in the Czech Republic, to round off this episode, they have done a type of decriminalization where uh, LSD is only illegal in any amounts other than small. That is how they refer to it, which to me sounds like a Starbucks size thing. My LSD is a venti. <laughs> So it's not legal. Mine is a small, so... It has to be a grande. Yeah, yeah. That's that's interesting. Yeah, so that's... There might be some changes coming up, but, uh, you know, things things move slowly in the legal department. And stay safe out there. You know, it, 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 is, it is still illegal. And even though it is, like, less enforced, it is illegal. So, you know... Yeah, and the other thing that we said about it not being um, toxic, uh, you know, you can still have a really bad time on it. Yeah. So definitely don't go taking... Uh, you know, test your drugs, don't take too much at a time, be with a friend. Like everything that yeah. you said, I think is really good advice. 
And um, yeah, don't underestimate the traumatizing power of a bad trip. <laughs> don't underestimate LSD at all. Yeah. Like as you said, like low doses hit hard mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. you don't need a lot to get you going. Yeah. Okay, well, that was our episode on LSD. Mia, how do you feel about it? I feel good. Yeah. I, I've, had a, I've had a psychedelic experience. <laughs> I've, had a, I've had a good trip for the last two hours. Oh, great. Um, uh, is this something that we may want to do in the future? Because we talked about a drug, right? This is the first time we talk about a narcotic. How would you, would you feel like, both you and also you, listener, if we made future episodes about various narcotics and their medical implications? I think it would be kind of cool. Research on the therapeutic potential of narcotics is, again, it's like gaining momentum, especially with psychedelics. You know, you have mushrooms, you have ayahuasca. There's also ketamine for depression. I feel like there's a lot of there's a lot of things to talk about there. There's a lot of potential. And to me, you would be interested to talk about it. But you as a listener, would you be interested in that? Please let us know. Please let us know. And we might make this a series, maybe. We might. Drugs and medicine. Narcotics? Narcotics. We have to come up with a name. Mm, yeah, we have to make it um, sound unsus. Fun funky paper in the medical industry. <laughs> funky paper in the medical industry. To round off this episode, though, can I tell you a fun little joke? Mm -hmm. It's not really a, a joke in that sense, but I saw a Tumblr post a while back that had a, had a theory about LSD. Uh, that LSD isn't real. That's just what happens when you eat paper. What did I expect from Tumblr? <laughs> <laughs> you said Tumblr and I was like, okay. You knew it was going to be bad. All right. So this was the episode. We are Leechfest. Mm -hmm. If you want to support us on Patreon, you can find us at Leechfest Podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter at Pod. You can keep up with whatever we're doing and hear about episodes mm -hmm. ahead of time and stuff. You can find the podcast. I mean, obviously, you're listening to it, so you can find it where you're listening to it right <laughs> now. But if you're listening to it on iTunes, please review. I keep forgetting to to ask you that. But if you're if you're listening on iTunes, please give us a review because we love to read them. <laughs> it's very nice. And you can also, you know, share 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 the podcast. Give it to a friend who who might need it. Because, you know, we don't pay to advertise the show. It's all word of mouth. So if, if you know someone who'd like a show like this, let them know. And we would love to meet them. We'd love to talk to them. If you don't like the show, please don't tell us. Because we don't, don't take criticism. We don't take criticism. We're well. very sensitive. <laughs> we both have anxiety. <laughs> we don't want to know. We don't want to know. Don't tell us. Um, no, but we hope we, yeah, we hope, um, we hope you liked the mm -hmm. episode and yeah. uh, we will uh, see you on the next one. Have a, have a nice trip. Have a nice trip. Bye. Safe, safe travels.